This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Pagan Ampike Pagan, and this is Authored, a show in which I have these conversations with writers that are built around themes. This season, I'm speaking to them about their firsts, their first literary loves, their first characters, about the first time they knew, like really, really knew, that this is what they wanted to do with their lives. Joining me today is author and journalist Cheryl Tan, a Singaporean in New York whose work, both fiction and non, I really, really enjoy. Hello, my name is Cheryl Tan, uh, and I'm a New York-based journalist and author. I've written, I've, uh, I have three books out. The first one was The Tiger in the Kitchen, a memoir of food and family. Uh, and the second was Singapore Noir, a collection of uh, dark stories set in Singapore. And uh, the third is uh, Song Party Girls, my first novel, uh, which just came out this year, and it's set in Singapore as well. So for those who don't know, give us a brief rundown on Tiger in the Kitchen. A Tiger in the Kitchen uh, was about a year that I spent traveling back to Singapore, where I was born and I grew up, uh, to learn about my family by learning how to cook, um, learning about the stories of the women in my family by spending time in the kitchen with them. I'd never really cooked them. I learned to cook from them. So this was my year of, of learning how to make bachang and, uh, and mooncakes and, and to stir up all the family dishes that my, my uh, late grandmother and my, my, um, my grandmother, my aunties made, um, and, uh, and just sort of lear- hearing their stories for the first time in my life, really. The transition to write, from journalism to write Tiger in the Kitchen, it's both kind of non-fiction-y, biographical. It seems like a logical transition. Um, talk to me about the moment you realized, that first moment you realized when you wanted to try your hand at fiction, because you've been a journalist at InStyle Magazine, at the Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Post as well, right? Yeah, well, fiction was something that I'd always uh, thought that I would like to try my hand at. Um, you know, I, I wrote my first fictional short story when I was five, I remember. <laughs> it was just a paragraph, and I remember I, was, I, I scribbled it on a piece of paper, and I showed it to my mom, and she's like, what's this? And uh, I, I always was in love with fiction when I was a child. I read voraciously, and I always thought that I would love to write fiction someday. But coming from a traditional Singaporean family, I, I knew that that probably wouldn't fly. So I persuaded them that, well, you know, I, I want to be a writer. But, you know, the way I'm going to do it and get paid is to become a journalist. So that, that's what I did. And um, so in the back of my mind, I thought, well, someday I'll do it. And then many years passed, and I just never got around to it. And then Tiger happened, and, and it happened. T- Tiger grew out of an essay I wrote for the Wall Street Journal. So that was very serendipitous and sort of very organic. When it came to thinking about what I was going to do for my next book, I wasn't quite sure. And I thought uh, I had always been interested in sort of the Sarong Patigal phenomenon in Singapore. And at the time, I still thought, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it as nonfiction. And I did some research, and um, I sat down to write a proposal, a nonfiction proposal for my agent. And it wasn't coming out quite right. And I, I remember I had to send her something in two days. I told her I would send her something. And uh, my agent terrifies me sometimes. So I'm like, okay, I really have to send her something. So I thought, <laughs> I know, like, why don't I try this as fiction and just see where it goes? Like, I thought I could open something up, and then maybe I could just go back. And, you know, once you start writing, it starts flowing. And the first chapter just came very quickly to me. And um, I sent it to her, and she said, just keep going. So it was a very organic process. I didn't out thinking that, okay, now I'm going to write my first novel. But it just sort of grew out of the story itself, which, which I think, you know, is, is, is how, how many, many, you know, many novels perhaps start. It's just passion and a really big interest in something. And what about Tiger in the Kitchen? I mean, it's an interesting way to tell a biography or tell your story, which is primarily through food. The thing is, I've seen a lot of Western chefs do it. But of course, you're not a chef. 
but it makes perfect logical sense because the Asian kitchen is where everything happens. Yes, that's true. It's the center of every home in Asia. And for me, it was, you know, I definitely did not approach it from an expert's point of view. I approached it from the point of view of someone who knows absolutely nothing, which suited my, which suited my, my, my uh, skill set very well because I've spent so many years as a journalist and you basically entered into situations knowing, you know, very often knowing very little, parachuting into some, something, some new subject topic or something, and you just have to find out everything you can about the topic very quickly. And what, what you do is you ask a lot of questions. And so in, in, in the case of uh, my family and telling the story through food, what I found was, and I suspect many um, Asian families, uh, the women tend to be a little bit more tepid in telling their own story. You know, you always ask them something like, oh, you know, what was it like? You know, what was life like in the 40s or something or like in the 60s? And they go, oh, why didn't you ask your grandfather? Why didn't you, why didn't you ask your dad? Or why didn't you ask your uncle? Like they tend to defer to the men as the experts. But when you're in the kitchen with them waiting, you know, for 90 minutes for something to steam, you know, that's when they're going to sit down and go, yeah, you know, back in my day, like this happened, et cetera. So it, it was a really good way of sort of interviewing them and Extracting stories, while also telling the story of you know their lives through food. Because for the women in my family, you know they really spent the cooking food for their families, putting food on the table. That really was the big thing that they did and their their job in life. So so telling their life through that was very important. And I think that's what I found particularly fascinating about the book because you heard from these women, which you otherwise wouldn't. My grandmother was the same. She she fed the family for. 70 years right wow and you wouldn't necessarily hear her story all the time you really had to push for it and it was only once everyone else was gone yeah yeah and that's very true and you know some of the stories you know that I learned I wouldn't ne- I would never would have learned if I hadn't asked about a particular dish for example my late grandmother one of her specialty dishes is ota which is not a traditional Teochew fa- Chinese family dish. But, and so when my aunties were teaching me how to make it, I was like, why is this one of our family's repertoire? It doesn't fit at all. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah. And they were like, oh, you know, your grandmother, she's such, so generous. Even when we were really poor, she was always helping other people. And there was, a, there was an, an Indonesian uh, former uh, helper, housekeeper in, in the neighborhood who, who got very sick. She had cancer. And then her, her employer sort of let her go. And she had nowhere to go. And so my grandmother, even she didn't have very much at the time, took her in and basically nursed her until her death and, um, and fed her and, and took care of her. And the, the helper at the time, and the woman said, you know, I, I, I don't have anything I can give you, but I can give you my recipes. And so she taught my grandmother all her recipes, which is why my grandmother makes like really, made really good misyam as well. And that's part of my family repertoire as well. Um, and so through that, I, just the simple fact of Ota being something that's been passed down in my family and is being passed down kind of tells you this great story about my grandmother and how generous she was. When it comes to food memoirs, what were the kind of food memoirs that you read that made you go, I want to write a book like this? Was it MFK Fisher? Do you remember the first one that you read that made you go, hey, this is something I can do? Well, MFK Fisher was definitely one of the, the big influences. Um, it, it's just such beautiful writing. And it's, I love how simple yet, yet complex it is. And how um, she tells and, stories. 
Yeah, and and it, she really puts you right there in that place in that time, and um, and so that was really sort of a, a you know a big influence for me. And but I have to say, I didn't read that and go, yeah, I can do that. I read that and go, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> so um, so yes, I, I really love her work. Um, you know, among some of the more contemporary writers, I love um, uh, a Trail of Crumbs, uh, which is uh, Kim Sunhee. Um, and it's about you know being in Paris and, and sort of um, sort of that time, um, and um, you know there's 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 several that I there's several that I like, but you know I, I like I like there's another one uh, Oysters of Loch Maria Care, which is not quite uh, memoirish, but it just it really tells a place of uh, of, uh, of of France, this place in France and oysters and sort of like I, I love. Um, you know, food, really good food tales that are really that really transport you to the place where you feel like you're sitting right there at the table with them. So you cut your teeth as a journalist. And I was going to talk to you a little bit about that. And I wanted to know if you remember the first piece of good journalistic advice that an editor gave you. <laughs> well, when uh, the first thing I learned, I went to journalism school at Northwestern University in Chicago. And the first thing you learn when you get to school there is if your mother says she loves you, check it out. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I found that that stood me very well in all, in all my years of, in all my years of journalism. It's just basically be skeptical of everything. Never assume anything. It, it, I, I hate to take it to the to the X Files level, but it's it's sort of you know along the lines of trust no one. <laughs> but I think you know that basically go, approaching any situation or anything with that sort of attitude, like you're going to question everything, often yields very good stories and details as well, because you're going to walk into any situation trying to be observant of everything that you can and asking questions of people that you might not be asking just because you're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, I found that that helps with, um, with, that has helped with my fiction as well. You know, if I hear a tidbit about something and that captures my interest and I, I start, you know, asking lots of questions and checking it out. And uh, sometimes that leads to a great vignette or like a scene or um, just the other day in Singapore, I went to check out a place because I'd heard something that was sort of a quirky bit of information. And um, and then my mother and I drove all the way to Changi Village and looked at this place and, and took a bunch of notes about how it looked and everything. And I'm, I'm probably going to put that in my next novel. So it's just sort of, you know, being paying attention to everything, asking the right questions, asking all questions and um, and just being observant, I guess. I love it when... I absolutely love it when fiction writers attempt journalism because I think fiction writers have an interesting ear, an interesting eye for things, and they see things somewhat differently. And when they put their, when they put their pen towards journalism, you get something new. And the same way, I love it when journalists attempt fiction because it's so much more structured. And I quite enjoy that structure in fiction. And, you know, I... I I, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I feel like I'm so new at this and I'm still trying to figure it all out, but, but I feel that I actually do apply a lot of the, my, my, the things I learned in journalism in fiction writing as well. You know, if you're, if you're going to tell a story about something that happens in a room or at a, at a place, at a, whether it's a bar or an office, what does the place look like? What does it smell like? What are people wearing? Um, you know, you're, as a journalist, you're a constant observer. And, and that, you know, that really lends itself well to fiction as well, because you, you, you want to place someone in the moment, in that place instantly. And how do you do that? It's through detail. It's detail, detail, detail. And as a journalist, that's the number one thing. And as a fiction writer, that, that's very important as well. Mm-hmm. 
Ayo, I tell you, if we do nothing, we are confirmed getting into Bang Boss territory. We have to figure out how to make this happen, and we have to do it now. After all, we've wasted enough time already, and we don't have any more time to waste. We are not young anymore, you know. Fan just turned twenty-seven. My twenty-seventh birthday is two months away, and Emos is not far behind. If we don't get married, engaged, or even nail down a boyfriend soon, my God, we might as well go ahead and book a room at Singapore Cascade, because our lives would already be over. In many ways, so I'm curious to know reactions from your friends and family. Do you remember? Do you remember the first? Absurd reaction you got when you told friends and family that you were writing a book about Sarong Party Girls. <laughs> yeah, I remember my the reaction was you know the reactions I tended to get was why 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 are you writing about Sarong Party Girls? But it was it was a、uh, because you know the term is 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 very is derogatory still in Singapore, and so the the reaction was sort of like why are you writing about this. Group of people that we try to ignore exist, or you know, why not write about nice people?、Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think one of my cousins were like, they were just perplexed.、Um, and so it was just sort of, well, you know, I, I just, you know, I, you write, you write what interests you, I guess. And, and this, 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 this sort of、uh, this breed of woman, if you say, or this, this, this sort of, this sort of type of person in society、um, interested me at the time. And、uh, so I remember thinking, well, you know, I guess at the very least, it's drawing a reaction. The reactions must have changed, though. So, in the sense that when you first told people that you were going to be a writer, I'm sure in the Singaporean context there was a tremendous amount of skepticism. Did that change when they saw your books on a shelf in a bookstore? Um, I think perhaps.、Um, yeah, I mean, when I my when I when I when I left full time journalism to to work on Tiger. Uh, my family was very concerned about me. They're like, you know, we, you know, my, my family is quite traditional in that sense. You know, everyone's working in、uh, in business in some way. You know, whether it's finance or the hotel industry or, or, or you know something. And so to have someone go leave a full time job to write books, that's just really, <laughs> you know, it's incredibly bohemian and and just sort of unheard of in my family.、Um, and so they were very concerned about me, and they thought it was just sort of this temporary madness thing、um, until Tiger <laughs> came out and. <laughs> And 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 they went, when they saw it in bookstores, and then they thought, okay, now we we sort of get it.、Um, and so that was that was sort of a, a good moment when they when they went to a store and saw that it was actually on the shelf at Kinokuniya. It's like, oh, this is a real thing.、Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I think now they're sort of they sort of accepted it. I mean, you know, I'm three books in, so、uh, by this point, I hope they they sort of accepted this is what I'm just going to be doing. <laughs> oh, it's good though. At least we have at least we have a set number. We know now that it's at least three books in before yes, you're yes. accepted once again by society, Cheryl. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I still feel like in the back of their mind, they're still hoping, like, oh, you know, I'll still go to law school and become a lawyer. That's right. She will <laughs> magically become an accountant next year. Yes, exactly. She will. She、and、will decide that everything、finally. she's done is wrong, and that we were right all along. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have a feeling that my greater family is still hoping the same thing. It's like one of these days he might just become a doctor. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just said to someone in、uh, New York recently. You know,、uh, you know, Asian families. You know, you, you'll find ten ways to disappoint them before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
absolutely right. Uh, yeah. What has the response been like for Sarong Party Girls? Because when I spoke to you the last time, the book had just come out. Yeah. And I know there were a couple of reviews down, but there wasn't any response yet from Singapore, I remember you saying. And I'm curious yeah. to know now, you've been back in Singapore for a while. What's the, what's the feedback been like? Well, the, the Straits Times has reviewed it, um, and, and we've got some nice write-ups in um, the, both the Straits Times and uh, today, which is a local paper. And um, you know, um, the launch in Singapore is actually officially in November, so, so it's technically not officially launched here yet. But the reaction has been great. Uh, the bookstores have been so supportive, and uh, it, it's, been a, it's been on the best, national bestseller list for three weeks in a row now. And so it's, it's been great to see sort of the level of support and interest in the book, which has been lovely. I had been a little bit worried at first because of some of the questions I'd been getting. One, one of the local reporters asked me, you know, what made you decide to write about a character who's such a bad example for Singaporeans? And I remember thinking at the time, okay, well, how do I answer this? <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to, to lead Singaporeans down this path of debauchery, etc. But at the same time, you know, the most interesting characters in literature are very often the most flawed. So my response was basically, you know, I don't think Nabokov was necessarily pro-pedophilia when he wrote Lolita. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, just the people tend to, to, to gravitate toward the most fascinating characters to write. And so, but overall, the, re- the response has been great, and it's been terrific to see. I just did a book club meeting with, um, with uh, the uh, American Women's Association book club here, and it was just lovely to sit down and have lunch with 15 women who read it and really got the book and, and said that it showed them a part of Singapore that they hadn't really thought about very much before. So, so it was, it, it's been really lovely to see that. And in the States as well, you know, it's been great to get see the reviews we've gotten. I had been nervous because it's written entirely in Singlish, but the response has actually been great and people have actually embraced the Singlish a fair bit. You know, LitHub wrote this big essay jumping off from Sarang Party Girls about, about what, what is English in literature these days and who gets to say what is English. So it's just so great. I'm just so happy to be part of that sort of discussion and debate in literature. And I think what, what people fail to realize when writing in pigeon forms of English is that you must really master the form first before you can exploit it. Exactly, exactly. You know, with, with this, you know, with, uh, with Manglish, you know, with, uh, with Spanglish, you know, the basic infrastructure is English. And then, you know, everything else, everything else is just sort of moved around. And some may say, well, it's not really, you know, it's not really literature or, or, or literary fiction. But, you know, you're right. You, you do have to have sort of a, a real good grasp of, 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 of good English in order to play around with it. It's like, you know, you need to know the basics and then you can kind of riff off of that or to play with that in a book. And so I, w- I would argue that, you know, it's, it's, it's as legit as anything else. So, Cheryl, do you remember the first book that you read that you keep going back to over and over again? Um, well, there, there, are, there are a few, but the book, first book that I read that made me really want to write and, and, and see this as a, as, as a magical thing that one could be doing is Enid Blyton's Faraway Tree series. And I remember reading that when I was very, very young. I, I forget, I was five or six, I think. And just just being transported to this, this world and these worlds within the books, it was just this magical experience for me, sitting in, like, sweltering hot tropical Singapore, and just all of a sudden I'm in this, like, world that's, like, so different. But I felt so there. I felt like I could taste the cakes. I felt like I could smell the grass. I felt like, you know, I was there. 
And just the idea that you, that anyone could sit down and with words create some sort of portal that takes you somewhere, that to me seemed like such a magical thing to be able to do that I hope that one day I would be able to do that. And, you know, so that's something that I actually, I actually do keep in a blight with me and I do keep that book around. And um, I just, I just peek into it now and then, just to take a look. But, you know, in terms of sort of adult fiction, you know, there's some of my earliest influences, probably Ann Tyler. I started reading Ann Tyler very early because I blew through all these child, like these children's books. And then when I was, I forget, like 11 or 12, I started reading Ann Tyler just because I happened upon one of her books. And Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant remains one of my favorite books of all time. Um, so I do, I do look at that because I think people say it's like, have said it's like the perfectly constructed novel or something. And, you know, there are other influences, of course, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Flannery O'Connor is someone I really, really love. And I actually went back and looked at her a lot when I was, when I was thinking of and, and when I was writing Sarong Party Girls because I, I felt this very unflinching quality in her writing that I really wanted to have in my own writing to not be afraid to say the thing that you see. And I think that's sometimes something that prevents writers from writing the, the thing that is right before their eyes because they want to, they don't want to show the unvarnished thing. And Flannery O'Connor never, never did that. She was always unafraid to just tell it how it was. And so she's been, she's been a very big influence. Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me again. Well, thank you for talking to me. This is lovely. That was Cheryl Tan, author of most recently Sarong Party Girls. We've got some copies of Sarong Party Girls to give away, and all you have to do is answer this one simple question. True or false, Sarong Party Girls is the first book by a major American publisher to be written entirely in Singlish. Just text us your answer along with your full name and IC number to 016-201-9000. That question again, true or false, Sarong Party Girls is the first book by a major American publisher to be written entirely in Singlish. The number again, 016-201-9000, your full name, IC number, and answer. That's what we're looking for. You can find Cheryl's books at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Authored. This is Bookmark BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.